Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulta. I'm a professor, I'm a podcast host, and someone who cares a lot about science communication and someone who's grateful to have a front seat at the newest innovation. Now, one of the things I care about the most is getting technology to farmers, especially those in emerging economies. And farmers in the developing world have long needed the tools of biotechnology, but they've frequently been slow to reach them. Today, we'll talk about a case where that barrier is now gone. We're speaking with Professor Douglas Miano. He's at the University of Nairobi in Nairobi, Kenya. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Miano. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very glad you were able to join us. So you're in Kenya. Um, Kenya is a, is a region of Africa that grows cassava. Could you tell us about what cassava is and how important it is to the populations in those regions? Cassava is uh, one of the most important crops in the in the country and the region. Uh, of course, the main crop is maize, but we do have other crops that come in to feed, especially the food deficits uh, when the maize is not in plenty. And cassava ranks high, especially in areas where the rainfall is not uh, in large amount or the rainfall does not go for a long period of time. Cassava comes in handy because uh, it can be able to survive even when the moisture levels are not very high. No, that's great. And so it is a good food staple for that reason. But how important is it? Is it is something that either in Kenya or in Africa or in, uh, let's say, around the world, how much is cassava consumed? Uh, thank you. Cassava is a crop that is consumed by over 600 million people in the world. Majority of these are in Africa. And uh, when you come to the East Africa region, it's uh, one of the main crops in some of the countries, in including Kenya and surrounding uh, uh, the, 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 the country of Kenya, including Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi, and those countries. In some parts of these countries, the, the people depend on the crop. At least they have to eat cassava at least once in a day. And uh, therefore, for the children, they have to survive depending on, uh, on, uh, on the crop. So when there is enough, at least we know that the people are well fed. Uh, that's very good. I think in, in the United States or in the West, we don't appreciate how important cassava is. And you said 600 million people. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, one in 10 people in, on the planet is dependent upon this crop. So it's very, very important crop. So when people eat cassava, what, what do they consume? Is it the leaves or do they consume the root or the stem or how, well, how do we consume cassava? The main part of the crop that is consumed is the, the root. We call it the storage root. That is where the, most of the starch is stored. So when uh, basically when you talk about cassava consumption, 
in we are thinking about the cassava roots, the storage roots. But we also do have some parts of the world where they use uh, the, 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 the leaves as vegetables. But of course, we also appreciate that the stems are also important in terms of, uh, of the planting because it's the main propagation material. So we are saying that uh, the roots are the most important as food. The, the leaves can also be used as vegetables in some parts of the, of, of the world, but you also use cassava cuttings as the, the main material for propagation. Okay, very good. Thank you. So I guess the big problem then are the threats, but you mentioned it's a reasonably resilient crop with respect to drought. But what about disease? How, how subject to disease is cassava? We do have a number of uh, diseases that affect cassava. Uh, but the main two main diseases is the cost, are caused by the viruses. One is cassava mosaic disease. And the other one is cassava brown streak disease. Cassava mosaic disease affects more of the above ground uh, growing parts, mainly the reefs while the cassava brown streak disease affects more of the roots and uh, therefore damages what is basically being consumed. Yeah, so the brown streak disease is, is one that I'm familiar with. How is that transmitted from one plant to another? Uh, there are different means of transmission. The main one, especially when the cassava is growing in the field, is through insects. The vector that transmits the virus is, is the white fries. So as uh, when uh, we, especially in the tropics, we do have um, high populations of the white fries. And uh, of course we appreciate that uh, the white fries and the pests will be there throughout the, 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 the year because of the nature of the climatical conditions. So these are the main vectors that transmit the, white, uh, the, 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 the virus. But we also do have another method of transmission and this is by cuttings. When you propagate the materials, the cassava from one crop to the other, we are using the sticks which you have cut from the crop that is already growing after, after harvesting. So if it was infected, then you are able to transmit it to the next season. And I understand that this can be a difficult disease to detect, at least the brown streak virus, can be a difficult disease to detect early. So a farmer may grow a crop for a whole season and not realize that, that it's not a good crop for sale. Is that true? And that is the main, main danger because uh, you know the extent of damage during harvesting. And at that time, the season is already over. You have taken uh, nine months to a year or, uh, or more to know that you don't have a crop. So it's a big problem because you cannot be able to tell before the harvesting that the, the extent of damage. And can you tell me more about the farmers? Are they small farmers, maybe one to five acres, or are they big industrial farms? We don't have a lot of farmers who are doing the cassava for, for industrial purposes. Most of it is used for consumption. So the farmers are mainly growing in one to two uh, hectares of land, or that's about uh, maybe three to five acres of land. So majority are using cassava for subsistence. So it's mainly grown for food and more so for the consumption at the household level. Yeah, that's a really important point for us to make because sometimes people feel that technology is all for industry, but this is technology for people. And we'll talk about the technology here in a second. But in general, food security in, in East Africa and Kenya are highly dependent upon cassava. So that, that's pretty true, right? It's, it's true. And uh, especially the, we do have two main parts of the country which are uh, produce cassava and consume cassava a lot. We have the western part of, the, of, the, of Kenya, 
where produces about 60% and consume, consume the 60% of the cassava. We do have the coast region, which consume, uh, produces and consumed about 30% of the crop, and the rest, about 10%, is uh, in the central region, which uh, or the central part of the country. So especially in Western Kenya, where the farmers depend on the crop for food on daily basis, so it is uh, it becomes a, a critical crop because you know that at the end of the day, if you do not give them the cassava, they don't have food. And with it being so important, how do they prevent the spread of the disease? How like what are the current strategies to make it more likely to have a successful crop? It's challenging to manage the cassava uh, viruses. And uh, the consequence for this challenge is that most of the of the varieties have been have been um, the farmers have stopped producing most of the cassava because of the viruses. What we appreciate is that uh, it's difficult to control viruses by any form of uh, method like chemical methods. You don't have anything to spray, uh, and being also a subsistence crop, many farmers do not are not able to purchase, um, for example, chemicals to spray the the vectors, the white fries. The white fries are also a challenge to manage that way because uh, they have the tendency to fry away when the crop has been sprayed or they go to the neighbors if the as um, the farmers may not be able to, all of them may not be spray, able to spray uh, in a synchronized way. And basically farmers don't spray cassava. So when uh, a, a crop like uh, cassava, which takes a whole year to, to grow, uh, even when we start with clean planting materials, because that's a, another another way of controlling the disease, within the first few months, the white flies will have transmitted the viruses to even the growing materials. So it's actually a major challenge because when the, the, we have the presence of the vector throughout the year, you have the presence of the virus in the neighboring fields, and uh, you have conducive conditions, uh, environmental conditions, it is difficult to say that you can prevent or you can control a disease that is caused by the viruses, and especially in a crop that is taking a whole year to grow. And so this is where we can really understand the problem. We're speaking with Dr. Douglas Miano, and he's in the Department of Plant Sciences, a professor at the University of Nairobi in Nairobi, Kenya. And this is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment with a solution to this problem. Hey, podcast listener, do you know the important power that you have as a science enthusiast? Don't just think of yourself as a consumer. Understand your critical role as an amplification node. Now I know what you're thinking. What the hell is he talking about? You see, the sound going into your ear should not be a dead end. Your consumption of scientific information should be an important node in a complex web of dissemination. Think of yourself as a messenger, connecting the podcast topic to the folks in your networks. Share the podcast in your social media feed. Give your opinion. Share your synthesis. This is how good science grows. The enemies of science and technology have ambitious networks that share the evidence of UFOs, the flat freezing Earth, and the dangers of COVID-19 vaccines. Their distribution system says food is poison, 
Farmers are evil, and all the bees are dead. Such discussion exists because of the ambitious networks of a few creepy, credulous twits that are happy to share the nonsense. But there's a lot more of us than there are of them. Exploit the power of your networks to talk about technology and how it is consistent with your most deeply held values. Understand your family and friends' concerns and share how new technology can address the issues they care about. Remember that 70% of people are getting their flawed and bogus information from stupid social media. Counter it early and often, sharing the information you trust and find compelling. Now remember, we don't have a problem with innovation. We have a problem with communication. And getting innovation to application happens faster when you become part of the discussion. Now back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Professor Douglas Miano, and he's in the Department of Plant Sciences at the University of Nairobi, and we're talking about cassava and the problems with cassava and a new biotechnology solution. So we talked about the disease problems and really the insidious nature of the disease that farmers, smallholder farmers, uh, a hectare or two of, of land, grow it for a year and then upon harvest realize they can't sell the crop or that it's severely damaged. So there is a need for a solution for these developing world farmers. And what is the new innovation that has recently been approved to slow the viral disease? The technology that we have used to manage the disease is uh, known in uh, scientific terms as gene silencing or post-transcriptional gene silencing. And what we are saying is that uh, we have been able to prime or to make, to activate the resistance of cassava to the virus, that is cassava brown streak virus, by enhancing a natural mechanism that normally takes place uh, in, the, in, the, in an infected plant, but because the, the, it's a fight between the viruses and the, the, the mechanism of the crop to protect itself from the viruses, if we enhance the natural mechanisms using the modern technologies, then you are able to make to ensure that the crop is able to start the virus. So what we did is to use the modern technology and to use the same same virus that is infecting the crop to trigger itself to say that uh, it can be able to protect itself from the viruses. So we took a piece, a small piece of the virus that infects the crop, and we made it in a way that it can help in triggering um, a process of cutting into pieces any other virus that comes to infect that crop that is related to that virus that is infecting the crop. So basically what we are saying is that the new technology is using modern biotechnology to be able to enhance the resistance of the cassava to the viruses. So basically it's like enhancing the mechanism of resistance, the natural mechanism, but we do it using modern technologies. Beautiful. And so is, let me ask you a technical question. Is this a overexpression of, say, the coat protein of the virus, or is this a antisense expression of the coat protein? 
it's an antisense expression of the code protein. So what you do is that uh, you don't allow the proteins to go to the next level of the or the protein to be made. So what you do is that after uh, transcription, it doesn't go to translation because you have uh, created the what you call the silencing mechanism by uh, when you create um, a double-stranded RNA. Generally, uh, uh, organisms don't uh, prefer to have uh, double-stranded RNA. So the double-stranded RNA is normally cut into small pieces by the organism. And any other uh, sequences that have pieces which are related or are homologous to are similar to what has already been cut, those small pieces will move through the plant and any other sequence that is related to the virus that is similar to that will be cut into pieces. So we don't have the process of creating any proteins. So it is because it is silenced as the term we refer to as silencing, but it's what you could refer to post-transcriptional gene silencing. So it doesn't go to the protein process. Yeah. So no protein, no virus, right? Yes. <laughs> and so where was the technology developed? Uh, this was a collaborative effort between different institutions. We have uh, the main institution, the lead institution in Kenya is uh, Kenya Agricultural and Livestock Research Organization. This is a premier research institution in Kenya. Of course, we've been collaborating with uh, other institutions. For example, now I come from the University of Nairobi. We do have other others, also institutions from the country who are helping us in, uh, in uh, for example, in communications. And uh, we do also have other partners from neighboring countries, for example, like Uganda, they have participated with us all through the process as uh, we have uh, been developing the technology. And uh, we do also have other countries like Nigeria, we have others who have joined recently like Rwanda. And of course, we do also have uh, a partnership with one of the institutions in the US uh, the Donald Dunford Plant Science Center. So with uh, this teamwork, including the scientists from Africa and scientists from Donald Dunford Plant Science Center, all of us came together and we came up with the technology. Yeah, that's very exciting because sometimes critics will say, this is all just companies forcing their products on people in Kenya. So this is a, uh, a product that's developed from Kenyan and in African laboratories in conjunction with some help from, uh, I think it's uh, the Taylor Group at uh, Donald Danforth Plant Science Center, right? Exactly. That's correct. And so, um, but there are groups in Kenya and groups around the world who say they're opposed to this kind of technology. And what have they done and how instrumental have they been to slowing approval of this particular technology? Uh we have not had a lot of resistance, especially for the cassava, and uh, mainly because uh, we have been ha have uh, already uh, approved the, the the production of cotton in the country, and maize is also in the process. So we do have um, um, some concerns which came up from uh, the environmentalists are uh, saying that uh, the, the, there might be a gene flow which, uh, which may affect the crops which are neighboring. But uh, we have done enough studies to show that uh, there is not going to be any effect if, uh, of gene flow on uh, the food safety or that information was done and provided to the regulators when they are doing the assessment. So even uh, we have had some resistance, but uh, we can say that we've been able to effectively address the questions that have been coming up 
Of course, being new technology, it uh, we appreciate that um, there are groups of people who are not uh, who are not for it. But uh, when we present the information that is needed to the to the relevant authorities and approve, so then uh, it is the majority of the people are satisfied. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, uh, now, I didn't think about this before, but you mentioned that cassava is propagated vegetatively. Does cassava even flower? Uh, yes, it does flower and it produces seeds. And uh, it's one of the processes of improvement when you're doing the, the conventional breeding. But uh, it's not the main uh, process of propagation because uh, uh, when you do the, the conventional breeding, you, the seeds that you get will be completely different. The segregation is very, very high. So you have uh, completely different varieties. So, and uh, they also take time to, by the time they germinate, they're breaking the dormancy. And uh, so then you can have a variety that is going to be distributed to the farmers. It's a, a big process. So, and a few cases you may have maybe one or two farmers who have seen a crop that has fallen into the a seed that fell into the ground and it germinated and maybe eventually might be distributed as a variety. But it's a very, very rare case, extremely rare case, because uh, it's not the process of propagation. Have you um, had to work or have you gotten to work with policymakers and maybe folks in, the, in parliament to help educate them about the new technology? It is one of the major activities as uh, we've been developing the technologies. We have also been having, uh, we have a strong team of, com of communicators in the communications team who have been helping us as scientists to make sure that uh, we communicate effectively so that the people can understand. And um, of course the approval process is uh, also has to have um, uh, public participation and uh, it was a challenge to us because the main one uh, towards the ap approval process was uh, done during the COVID times but we are able to use uh, modern technologies like uh, this one to be able to communicate effectively. In terms of regulators and the policy makers from the, from the beginning of the initiation of the project we involved them so every step they knew what we are doing and we would take them to the field to see what we have done. We take them to the greenhouses, explain to them. So by the time we are giving the, uh, uh, the application, at most of the people who are involved in the regulatory process, they understood what we have done. So the participation of the policy people, participation of the, of the government, participation of uh, even the other stakeholders, it has been continuous. And I think that this has helped us a lot in terms of being able to make them the progress that we've been able to make. Okay, well, policymakers are good, but what about farmers? Are they excited to accept the new technology? Uh, yes, they are. So, and uh, they are really, really waiting for us. The, one of the questions that we have to keep uh, answering is, when is this crop going to, to be with us? And uh, we have to keep um, uh, managing the expectations and uh, letting them know that this is a regulated technology. And a regulated technology has to go step by step and uh, so the farmers are waiting for it, especially from uh, the regions where the disease is a major problem. And it happens to be that uh, these regions are also the major cassava production areas. And do you imagine that the technology will move into other parts of Africa? Certainly, yes. Uh, the other countries are waiting for it. For example, our neighbors, Uganda, that we have been working together with them. We have gone through every step together with them. And uh, of course, they have not. They don't have a, a, a policy, um, 
an act or a role that can help them to commercialize the product. But they are in the process of it. And uh, I'm sure the day that the, the, the roles will be made, they will immediately be able to pick up the crop. You got Tanz uh, Rwanda has also come in now and they have said that uh, they have started doing the convention, uh, the confined field trials because they would want to also start with the work. We also have other countries like Marawi and Mozambique and uh, of course Nigeria. The disease is not in Nigeria, but uh, they are also looking to see the about the, the biofortification of the, of the cassava. So what we are saying is that uh, many countries are also looking at it and see that uh, if it has been commercialized in Kenya and is doing well, they are also ready to take it. If people wanted to learn more about the project, where would they look? Uh, thank you. We do have the contact person. Of course, as I said, that the main project is being run by, uh, by, by uh, CARO, the Kenya Casual and Livestock Research Organization. And if they go to the website of uh, CARO, they can get more information. We do also have a project website, and uh, this website is uh, uh, www.kazavaplus.org. And uh, of course, we are also there. You can, if you go to that that website, you can be able to see our contacts. Uh, you can talk to the Caro scientists. We have a Caro, the lead scientist in Caro is uh, Dr. Catherine Taracha. And uh, of course, uh, we do have also our partners in uh, in. Uh, in, in Danforth Center, our partners in Uganda, we do have our communications team, which is led by ISTPOA, that is uh, the, the African hub. And um, basically, if you go to CARO website and uh, to cassavaplus.org, uh, you get all the information how you can be able to get to us. Excellent. Now I'll include those links in the show notes of this podcast episode. So, Dr. Miano, thank you so much for joining me. Best wishes to you and your team and to all the farmers in Kenya. I really am uh, very grateful for your efforts at helping those farmers. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Write a review, um, you know, do what you can, but mostly tell people about the story. It's technology reaching smallholder farmers and helping them ensure a better livelihood for them and their families. This is exactly what this technology should do. And, you know, thank you to folks like Dr. Miano for helping this happen. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are, but it has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast, which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. So feel free to share this science communication effort, recommend guests, and support us with a few shekels over on Patreon. We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience, enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast.
You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.